Welcome into Words with Wallace. I am your host, Nick Wallace. We are coming at you live. Well, not live. You guys are seeing this after the fact. I got to remind myself of that. It is Sunday, March 19th. It's the afternoon. We have a very special guest. We are joined by uh, my friend and colleague, Ian Kayanja. Ian is a credentialed media member for the Dallas Mavericks. He is a sports writer as well. Um, he works for A to Z Sports, D Magazine, has had opportunities with USA Basketball, the Dallas Morning News, Sports Illustrated, and has covered over six different professional teams. So uh, Ian's a very wise man, very uh, in touch with what's going on with the Dallas Mavericks. So uh, let's kick it over to Ian. Ian, how are you feeling today? Uh, excited to have you on. I'm happy to be here, man. I feel like um, some rare, it feels like a rare opportunity, like my pre-draft interview or something. I'm just, I'm, I'm over the moon. <laughs> well, we, we also wanted to let you know, Ian also um, is an occasional contributor on the Mavs Fans for Life podcast. They do a great job over there. But it's interesting that Ian even got access to that because Ian, Ian's not a Mavs fan. So, Ian, this is a safe space. You know, sometimes you're ganged up on by three Dallas Mavericks fans over there and Anytime uh, Ian's of reason, man. I'm the voice of reason in the <laughs> math world that after one win, they proclaim they're winning the NBA championship. And then after one loss, it's like all hell is lost. And so I, I find myself being the antagonist more times than not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a safe space, man. So you can you can turn up the heat on the takes. You, you know, don't be afraid to, to say what's really on your mind. You know, this is a safe space. So um, can't wait to get into some realistic uh, Mavericks talks some Mavs content here. And before we get too far into that, let's just set the scene with the Dallas Mavericks, right? I mean, you know, most people understand it's been a month and a half since the trade deadline where they acquired Kyrie Irving. Um, they're currently 36 and 35. Um, you know, they're sixth place in the Western Conference. Uh, and they're coming off of a really massive win over the Lakers that essentially was worth three games in the standings because of tiebreakers and how tight-knit the Western Conference is, you know, from the fifth seed all the way down to the 12th seed. You know, Kyrie probably had his best game as a Maverick, you know, 38, 6, and 6. He had a, a game-winning pass, which was probably a bailout from Maxi Kleber, who hit a, hit a three to ice the game at the buzzer, essentially. Um, so, Ian, wanted to kick it over to you to, to be, you know, how are the vibes? What is it like, you know, working and covering a team that has Kyrie Irving on it? You know, how are the vibes in Dallas right now? You know, I, from the outside in, I was definitely a, a exhausted Kyrie consumer. Um, you know, when he was in Brooklyn, I was, I found myself just tired of the guy. Um, but in the first month and a half in Dallas, and maybe this is just part of the Kyrie Irving life cycle, I find myself quite endeared to him, like the person Kyrie Irving. Um, and maybe it's, again, it's part of that Kyrie life cycle, that first two, three months that he's with your team, everything's all gravy. And then, and then things kind of blow up at the first sign of trouble. Um, but it's also you have to keep in mind what, what is keeping Kyrie on his best behavior is he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and he needs to get paid. And, and obviously, once you get that level of security after you get another long-term contract, um, your real intentions come out. Uh, how many times have we seen it? I mean, Ben Simmons practically quit playing basketball the moment he got paid. So... It, it, we'll we'll see if Kyrie signs an extension in Dallas. I have a feeling we we'll see the real version of who he is. Um, but so far, a month and a half in, I, I have no complaints about the guy. Like he's he's patient with all the media members, and one of the interesting things is he seems to look you in the eyes every time he he answers your questions, and he's on his best behavior for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, obviously, I think you cleared it up, you know, well, uh, by starting off by saying you're essentially in the honeymoon phase, right? Like it's only been, you know, a month and a half. And it, it's like you said, this is certainly a tryout period for him to get that next contract. I think those are all fantastic points. But yeah, I mean, you covered it. Like the, the weird thing about Kyrie is, is despite, you know, all of the negative media attention he tracks and, and, and essentially the scandals that he's been involved with in the past, he's really well received around the league, right? Like his teammates like him. Um, I know it drives Celtics fans nuts that after every game, you know, there's still a line. Everyone's hugging him. Everyone's dapping him up. There's there's certainly mm -hmm. no bad blood between Kyrie and the people that he's played with. Um, and certain media members have said the same thing. So it's really interesting to see, uh, you know, you speak relatively highly of him. I wanted to kind of gauge your, you know, 
Overall, looking back to the deal, it's, you know, just trying to evaluate the early returns on the Kyrie trade from Dallas's perspective. You know, initially you wrote a piece, you know, about it and you were, you were pretty optimistic about it. You were pretty excited about the move, you know, basically citing that you were excited that the, the front office recognized that they were not in a, sp a spot where they're contending this season um, and that they went out and actually got Luca a co-star. Uh, but since the trade, you know, they're eight and nine. They're actually only three and six when both Luca and Kyrie are playing. You know, as we kind of thought, they're fifth in offensive rating, they're 24th in defensive rating. Um, so overall, how is it how has the deal met your expectation about a month and a half into this thing? I think it's a move that Dallas had to make. For for some weird reason, I remember um when the Kyrie trade went down, you had a whole bunch of I, I like to call them big media, like your your legacy media, talking about, oh, the Mavs gave up too much. And I kept looking at the trade and seeing Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith for a guy that's a top five offensive player. Like, it, I, I never understood the illusion that Dallas gave up too much. Like, when Kyrie is on, there's no one in the league that can guard him. So that was kind of my position from the start. Um, and I think the Mavs with Luca and Kyrie being three and six, that's not an indictment on those two as a pairing. Um, I think it's more so Jason Kidd and how he's, he's ever, all the players love Jason. Like if you ask any player on the Mavs, they, they love his lack of, not lackadaisical, but kind of like easygoing approach. Um, but I don't think that he's a coach that wins NBA championships as a head coach. And it, it, it's partly because his assistants are all his buddies that he knows will never take his job. Um, and so I, I think that the three and six record when both of them are playing is more an indictment on who Jason Kidd is as a head coach versus how talented Luca and Kyrie are and whether they can work together. If you look at a lot of those losses, um, they're losses that were similar to losses the Mavs faced in the first half of the season where they had these big leads and they squandered them um, and it comes down to one possession and Jason Kidd's out-of-timeout plays are some of the worst I've seen an NBA coach draw up. I, and, and so, like, the Mavs lost a bunch of games that way um, and, and a lot of the Luka and Kyrie losses are the same way where it's a close game and Jason Kidd is just out coached and, and his, his team isn't as prepared as, as other teams are. Um, and so I, I don't blame Kyrie and Luka for not making it work. I blame Jason Kidd for not getting the most out of two all NBA level players. Like it, it, and, and I wrote a, a recent column where I basically said, um, Great coaches get good results out of an average roster. Average coaches compete on par with what you can expect. And bad coaches can somehow undermine talent. And I don't think Jason Kidd is a good NBA coach. I don't think he's an average NBA coach. I think he's a bad NBA coach that kind of masquerades as this, I'm going to be best friends with your superstar. I mean, when he got fired in Milwaukee, Giannis was so upset but then Milwaukee gets a real coach in there and wins like 60 games the next season. Um, and Jason Kidd's just a blame shifter that never wants to take accountability and, and, and is looking at a roster that, yeah, outside of Luka and Kyrie, there isn't much. But with Luka and Kyrie, uh, you shouldn't be three and six. And, and that's on Jason Kidd more than it's on anyone else. Man, I love that guy. Guy turns the gun around, points it right at Jason Kidd. He's like, all right, let's take the heat off Kyrie. Let's put it on Jason Kidd. I love it, man. Tell me more about this because I think, you know, I talked a little bit about it with my guy RJ when we were talking Celtics. It's really, you know, I think it's really difficult to evaluate coaching, um, you know, especially in the NBA because it's it, it so much comes back to talent. There's so many variables that go into a, a, an NBA game where I think you really have to be super close to that team to, you know, be able to honestly evaluate you know, what the coach's decision-making is like, what his rotations are like, but you are certainly that close with the Mavericks. So, you know, I, you know, from the outside looking in, I, I definitely watched the Mavericks quite a bit and it, it felt like, you know, kid has this, you know, a little bit of Tibbs in him, a little bit of Tom Thibodeau in him, coach of the Knicks in that, you know, the first season, he kind of elevates certain aspects of the team, especially defense. I feel like the defensive philosophy that he put in place last year is really what impressed people that, 
you know, I think for at least a part of the season, he was in the coach of the year conversation because, you know, realistically, the Mavs had a, a pretty obvious lack of defensive talent. You know, when you look at their individual defenders and their team defenses was, was rated really highly last season, despite those shortcomings. But this season has come back down to earth quite a bit. Um, and so, I mean, I'm interested to see, like, just to play devil's advocate here, you know, I don't really look at it and see Jason Kidd as much. I look at it and see, okay, what is what does he have to work with? Like, where, when does the blame pie, like, what part of the blame pie has to be shifted over to GM Nico Harrison? Because I look at a roster that is completely devoid of talent outside of maybe their top three, three or four guys. Um, and I, I'm just interested to see, like, you think Jason Kidd has enough talent there to make up for that lack of talent? You think that's still on him to get wins as currently constructed? Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it's also – it also boils down to, like, Jason Kidd sticks with his guys. Like, there's no reason Dwight Powell should be playing 30 minutes in an NBA game, especially when you have Christian Wood – that doesn't play or doesn't start because of Dwight Powell. Like that falls squarely on kids shoulders. Um, it, it, it's, it's the fourth quarter out of timeout plays are horrible or the fact that teams will go on 10 0 runs and Jason Kidd will just stand there with his hands in his pockets, not calling timeouts. Uh, I mean, it's, it's all of those factors. It's kids mind boggling end of game quotes where he'll say things like, Oh, I'm just watching like you guys. And it's like, <laughs> no, you have, you have direct influence over the situation at hand. It's, and, and yeah, you want your team to figure it out, but, but you're not Phil Jackson and you're not equipping them with, with some sage philosophy. You're just a lazy NBA coach that never wants to take the blame. Uh, I mean, like, when when the Nuggets lost four straight, you saw Mike Malone say, like, I need to find guys that want to go out there and compete. Um, and then when the Mavericks had lost, like, four straight, you see Jason Kidd saying, like, oh, that's not on me. Like, I'm giving these guys the tools. And, and, and so it's like the lack of accountability is really what gets to me. It, it's what eats away at me. I'm, when I covered the Titans, Mike Vrabel, the first thing he would say whenever a disappointing result would happen, it was he would say, we have to play better and I have to coach better. It was the I have to coach better that, yeah, everyone was like, oh, that's coach speak. But at least it was some crumb of accountability. Jason Kidd avoids that. Um, and, and he, he probably doesn't like to call timeouts because that would require him taking accountability too. And we saw the same situation in Milwaukee where he would blame how young the team is. I mean, like, let's, let's be serious here. Like Jason Kidd said of the Dallas Mavs, like, oh, they're a young team. They need to figure out how to win. And I'm looking around and I was like, well, Kyrie is Not over 30. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you, Dwight Powell is going to Dwight Powell is in the top is going to be in the top ten for most games played for the Mavs. Like it, it's it's so mind boggling and and sometimes it, it, you know Christian Wood isn't exactly a spring chicken either. And so it's like how many young guys do you have on the roster? Surely not Reggie Bullock or Tim Hardaway Jr. They're not exactly young either. So what do you mean that you guys have to grow up? I think, Jason Kidd, you have to grow up. You have to start being willing to say, like, that loss is on me. And and I think that, yeah, the talent may not be up there with, with say, the, the Denvers or Memphis Grizzlies of the world, but with a better head coach, this could be a 55-win basketball team. And they're not going to be that because Jason Kidd, is, is his averageness is holding them back. Man, don't even – when you said the White Powell, my blood started to boil. I, I got all giddy inside because that guy is literally the definition of a warm body. Like, again, all respect to him. He's clearly a beloved teammate. And the funniest thing is Jason Kidd had a quote where he said Dwight Powell was the best big the Mavs had. I, I mean, like, I was dumbfounded. I was dumbfounded. I don't know because I watch Dwight Powell where he'll be out there 21 minutes, four points, two rebounds. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, like, I get it. He's not – he's certainly not a box score guy, but I don't think he's a a, a positive impact guy either. Like, he, he's just – he's out there burning calories, dude. Like – Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off too much on my, my Powell thoughts and everything like that just because we'll get the team needs and take a closer look at the roster. But it is hilarious, just a nugget for 
uh, my Celtics fans out there that he actually was a piece of the Rondo trade that sent Rondo to Dallas. I think we got back Jay Crowder as well, we being Boston. Um, and so the fact that he stuck around, and he's definitely the longest tenured Maverick. He has to be, right? Like, the, the, that guy's lasted like a decade in Dallas while, being, while never really even being a league average big man, in my opinion. But, and he's starting, dude. It's bad. It's bad. But I think that the most egregious coaching decision that I've seen from Jason Kidd, just again, as somebody that doesn't watch him as frequently as you, is, you know, uh, Jalen Hardy? It's Jalen Hardy, right? Um, Jaden Hardy, sorry. He, uh, he's been incredible for them, right? Like they're, you know, late first round. Maybe he was even slipped to the second round pick for them. He's been pretty incredible as an offensive spark. And, you know, especially in this period without Luka and Kyrie, you know, Jason Kidd's hand has been forced to play him. But I know Dallas fans are pissed that, you know, this is the same guy that's been buried behind, um, what, Frank Nilakina, I, I believe is how you pronounce it. Like, Frankie yep. Smokes. In, like, I understand Frank. Right. Frank gives you a lot on the defensive end of the court. But, like, you know, the fact that this guy's been buried, you know, on the depth chart and is only playing because there's, they've hit a stretch without Luka and Kyrie just shows kind of the coaching negligence um, that goes along with all the, you know, the front court and in-game decision mismanagement that you, you already cited. Yeah, I mean – Hardy's a talented guy, especially when he was in the G League. The numbers he was putting up were, were pretty outrageous. Um, but the, with the, the his biggest thing is just that, like his turnovers. But even still, like he's a young he's a young guy. This season, you're not necessarily competing for anything, and there's nothing that Frank Nilakina gives you or McKinley Wright gives you that Hardy can't give you. Um, and and so I just I've never understood kids' reluctance to play him um, because you're you're looking at Frank Nilakina and McKinley Wright and you're not necessarily seeing uh, great backup point guards um, and 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 so the team's already top heavy as it is so why not take time to to try to develop um, one of your 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 younger guys on the roster it, again it makes no sense I. I I don't understand his decision making, and we've in the media we've probed him and asked him, and he sticks by his guys. And I just don't think Hardy is one of his guys yet. Um, it, you saw what it took for a guy like Josh Green to finally get some run, um, and Kid is stubborn like that. Uh, so it doesn't matter that Hardy is hooping without Luca or without Kyrie, and he'll go back to the end of the bench for no explainable reason. Um, when the team is fully healthy. And, and so it's like never get your hopes up to see more of what you're seeing from him um, because it'll probably take two years before Kid even begins to trust him with meaningful minutes. It's so funny as you say that. I'm just laughing because in the back of my head, that, that quote about them being a young team that needs to learn how to win is just becoming more and more laughable. Like, bro, the only guys that play no any sense. sort of meaningful minutes for them that I would consider young are Jaden Hardy and then Josh Green, and that's it. Like, all those other guys, it's like, you know, maybe they're, you know, adult, <laughs> you know, young, but they're not young by NBA standards by any means. So mm -hmm. that's funny, man. We'll talk about Jason Kidd too when we get into the team needs section because it, it sounds like things are a little bit more dire in Dallas than I was anticipating but you know I just wanted to zoom out a little bit and beyond just the Kyrie trade like looking back at the Mavericks you know sneakily they've had like a complete nearly a complete roster overhaul from where they were at the start of last season so the start of the 21-22 season um, you know basically 18-19 months ago um, they're they're essentially a completely different team right I mean they've you know, just to kind of set the scene, you know, the Mavericks that have left in, since that time period, um, you know, either been traded or free agency or whatnot, obviously Jalen Brunson, uh, Christoph Porzingis, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, you know, you have a couple of role players in Boban, Sterling Brown, Moses Brown. Uh, I didn't put Dinwiddie on that list because he essentially came and left during that time. They also, you know, traded a 2029 first round pick in that Kyrie deal. Um, and in that same period, they brought back Kyrie, you know, Christian Wood, they drafted Jaden Hardy. They acquired Davis Bertans in that deal for um, in the Kristaps deal, and then they also laughably signed Javale McGee before this last season. So, you know, looking at that shift, so you know, just to kind of you know summarize it again: Brunson, Porzingis, Finney Smith out. You know, you bring in Kyrie, Christian Wood, you know, Jaden Hardy is like the big assets. Is this team better? Do you think this is a more competitive team than where they were at the start of last season? Um. No, 
um, I I always I was always big on losing Brunson was going to be bigger than Dallas fans kind of expected, um, because what Brunson gave you, um, if with you being the Mavs was the ability to control the pace of the game, and that was that's what made their defense actually so effective last season. It was it between Luca and uh, Brunson. The Mavs controlled the pace of play against every opponent, which controlled the number of possessions they had, which limited the amount of times they had to necessarily guard for a full 24 seconds. Um, And and so in turn, that really helped defensively. um, And and you saw that kind of in the Utah series in the playoffs. Um, And so are the Mavs better off now? Um, No, I don't think so. Where, and and it's a yes and a no actually because Kyrie like you you make the move for Kyrie every single time without a doubt in my book but it's hard for me to really believe that also a part of the Mavs front office isn't thinking like imagine having Brunson and KP who's actually been very solid this year in Washington um, I think that part of part of the Mavs front office says like. Oh, imagine that, like Brunson having an all-NBA level year alongside Luka, who's always having an all-NBA level year, and then a KP that's averaging 22 and 8. Like, you're telling me in a perfect world, like, that wouldn't be nice to have aside from just a Luka and Kyrie show and then whoever is happening to make threes that day? And so it's like, this year I always viewed it as a step back to hopefully take a step forward, um, and that... Uh, KP deal was was to create you know some some more maneuverability which they then used to get Kyrie and and so I think it's it's a yes and a no um, in an ideal world that version the last version of the Mavs would have been would have been the team that kind of was better um, but it's hard to argue with making the conference finals and then making the trade for Kyrie and. I think in a seven-game series, when you have Luka and Kyrie, anything is really possible, regardless of how good the other, you know, six guys are. Absolutely. I mean, I I agree with you overall on the point where I, I definitely think that they are overall, you know, compared to the start of last season to where they are right now. I think as currently constructed, I think they're a worse team. I think they're a less competitive team. I think they have a lower chance of winning the finals. Um, reason being is, is you, you touched upon a lot of it, um, but I think Jalen... Jalen Brunson um, is essentially, and it, you know, this is an arbitrary number, but what is he like? Eighty-five percent of the talent of Kyrie Irving, maybe even ninety percent of the talent, you know, at, when they're each at their ceiling. But he's so much lower of a risk in terms of you know management, in terms of you know what type of negative attention he's going to attract off the court, mm-hmm. in terms of health and availability. I mean, I know Brunson's actually coming off probably the lar- largest stretch of games he's missed in his career, but he's been you know relatively healthy. Where you, you certainly can't say that about Kyrie, who's had his own injury struggles since coming to Dallas. So he makes uh, money with his feet. You got to be cautious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did those you see that injuries. quote from Kyrie? So when when Kyrie was talking about his foot injuries, um, Kyrie goes, "I make money with my feet, so it's something I want to take care of now." <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? It's like, bro, it's it's a little too late for that. Once the foot problems start, it's it's not looking good. Like at least he's not like a seven footer. Like I know the bigger you are, like that's that's the type of injury that definitely plagues and shortens the career of some of the big guys in the league. But man, that's funny. But yeah, like I just think that you know. Sure, but you know, overall, let's fine. Like, let's let's say that that Kyrie has a higher ceiling than Jalen Brunson, which I don't think many people would push back on. And if that's something that Mavs fans want to, you know, rest their hat on, like that's fine, that's fine. But uh, you know, you go down the list, and it's like you know, Christian Wood for Porzingis. Like, you know, I think it, it's kind of the opposite, where Christian Wood, you know, I think he, he provides floor spacing, he provides you know a, a lot of talent in the offensive end. He's probably going to be more available than Kristaps, but. You know, Kristaps is 7-3, and defensively, it's not even close. And, you know, Kristaps has his own health concerns and whatnot. But I, I think you're seeing, you know, a, a sneaky, really solid season out of Kristaps this year. You know, nobody gives a shit because it's in Washington, and I, I put them in purgatory. I think they're in one of the worst basketball situations in the league as far as, you know, going nowhere fast. But, you know, Porzingis still has a ceiling. And he, you know, I think his, 
trade value is, is, is certainly higher than that of Christian Wood if you're looking at it as an asset position. And then, of course, they lose Dorian Finney-Smith. And I think that he's, you know, the, easily the best you know, lockdown perimeter defender. I think every team needs a guy to guard the other team's best player. Um, and he's such a versatile defender. He was really perfect for that Dallas team as a 3 and D option. Um, and you're seeing him play really well with, with the Nets, as, you know, a, a, in addition to that. So uh, I definitely think that you're right on. I think that they're a less competitive team than what they were at the start of last season, which is concerning. But I'm actually going to take it a step further and even push back on that Kyrie deal, right? Um, because I, 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 you say you make the deal, you know, 10 out of 10 times just because the talent that's coming back. And I understand that. But as I mentioned before on this podcast, we can't really evaluate it until the offseason because if Kyrie does not re-sign with Dallas, whether it's you know a sign-and-trade or they keep him on the roster, whatever, and they lose him, and I know Nico Harrison's fallback was, hey, we have cap space, if, and that's our plan B, that's a dog shit plan B. Like, when's the last time Dallas has signed a relevant free agent um, that has really made an impact for them? You know, I guess you could probably point to Christian Wood as one of the bigger ones. Or actually, he was, I think, a trade or whatever. But regardless... You know, I, I don't know if you make that Kyrie trade because it, you're betting on, on he's one of the worst gambles in all of pro sports. And if he up and leaves or, or they're not able to re-sign him come the offseason, that is a, a big loss to lose a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith, to lose a guy like Spencer Didwitty, and give a first-round pick to boot. Um, so I think if, if you lose the Kyrie trade, not only are you – are you or if you lose, lose Kyrie in free agency, not only are you less competitive this season, but you're also um, in a worse situation asset-wise. So – um, I think it could get really dark if, if they don't re-sign him. I mean, it, it comes down to what you think of Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie um, because the team was going nowhere with those two anyway. Um, and that's kind of my position. I mean, I'd, I'd watch them for about, you know, what, like 50 games up into the trade deadline, something like that. And I could assure you, that team was going nowhere fast. It was like riding on Route 65 into the sunset, looking for a railroad town in the year 2300. <laughs> like it, that team was going absolutely nowhere. And so if I'm, and, and this is just my basketball philosophy. You have a 24 year old superstar in Luca. Um, for all of his greatness, he's, he's an imperfect superstar. And I think we kind of forget to, to look at that um, in media. Everyone is so quick to praise him. Um, but uh, he, he doesn't defend necessarily very well. And, I mean, what is concerning is he picks up a lot of soft tissue injuries. Um, partly I think that's because of the weight that he's been playing at. If you look at younger Luca when he was much thinner and quicker, um, we didn't see him pick up these weird nagging like calf strains, hamstring strains, whatever. So I don't – not to get on the whole Luca thing, but I think when you have someone 24 that's as good as Luca is with all of his imperfections, um, and you have the guy that made one of the biggest shots in NBA Finals history on the trade block, regardless of if he stays or not, um, I think you have to make that move because – it's an ode to Luca to say, like, we're trying. And to have Kyrie on the trade block and not make a move, um, and, and I think it would have been a bigger indictment on Dallas. It would have been, oh, we're, we're comfortable. And, and so for me, it registered as, like, Dallas no longer being complacent with having average at best pieces. And so that's why I'm like, it's a move that – if you're the Mavericks, you have to make over and over and over again um, because, it, again, it's an ode to Luka that we will continue to try. Even if this one goes up in flames, we're, we're still going to keep swinging. Um, and that's important. I, I think that's actually very important. Um, too, many, too many teams um, so never want to actually push all their chips into the table um, and and in, in my head, I think it's always a zero-sum game. Like, the clock is ticking either way on Luka's extension. Um, with the last year being a player option four years from now, the clock is ticking either way. So you sitting around waiting for the perfect star in the perfect moment, um, you're losing time. And, and it was a move that the Mavericks probably don't make if they just re-signed Jalen Brunson. 
which I, I said they should do, like give whatever money Jalen Brunson wants because the cap is going to go up anyway and whatever contract Brunson is on will still be very tradable two years from now. Um, but they didn't do that. And so when you don't make the move you should, you have to make the move you must. And that's kind of what happened. I like a lot of what you just said. I like that you're absolutely right in you know the team having the correct mindset and being not being complacent. That I give them all the credit in the world for being like, hey, this ain't it. Because I completely agree with you. I watched them early season and I knew that they were also going nowhere fast. Um, I think my issue with it is as we just talked about, I think they're still going nowhere fast as far as this season. We'll talk about the ceiling of the team in a second. But I understand that you want to show Luca that you know, you're trying. You, you, you understand that despite him being under contract for the next couple of years, the clock is ticking. It's so important to keep your superstar happy. That's the number one responsibility of, of Dallas, in my opinion, is just to keep that guy happy um, because he is that good. He's, he's that much of an asset. He might be the single best asset in the league besides maybe Giannis. Like that's, that's the level of special that we're talking here. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But that being said, I don't know if it matters if you're showing them that you're trying. Because just to quickly compare it to a situation, and I, you know, I'm not the first person to make this comparison, but like looking back on, you know, LeBron's tenure in Cleveland the first time around, like they tried, they took shots, right? They took shots on the ghost of Shaq and the ghost of Ben Wallace and the ghost of Antoine Jameson. Like, you know, again, I say the ghost of because these, you know, these guys were obviously all all well past the prime of their career at that point. Like they took shots. And ultimately, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for LeBron James. Now, Luka and LeBron are different people, and, and you, maybe you hope that overall Dallas is a better situation and, you know, maybe they'll have more success and maybe Luka will just be more complacent and have more, you know, loyalty to the team that drafted him than LeBron. So, you know, that's a difficult comparison to make. But I don't know if, if, if just taking the shots, it matters. Like, you know, maybe you really get in his ear and be like, hey, like, let's give it six months and then, the off, and the, like, you know, Kyrie's up in the off season anyway, like maybe you just hold on to those assets and you really just make a, a huge free agent push to get him then. Um, and I think that that is an option. And then, you know, you still have a little bit more assets to work with because I totally hear you that, you know, going nowhere fast and, and having to understand that, you know, the situation that you're in and that you need to make a change if you want to ultimately win the hump. I just don't think that trade, this trade is it. I don't think that, I think overall they might've even gotten worse. I think we've seen that in the time since Kyrie has gotten there and overall it's a net, it's a net negative on assets if Kyrie leaves, right? So you know, that's my two cents on it. Um, I think you're absolutely right, too, in talking about Brunson. Like, but. With Luka, with a healthy Luka and a healthy Kyrie, you're telling me, say the Mavs end up playing the Kings in the first round. I was hoping. I was going to suggest that anyway because, man, what, what, what would be the over-under on that? Like 300 <laughs> every game? Vegas is setting, <laughs> setting the over-under at, like, 298 and a half? Like, Jesus, that'd be a lot of fun. But anyway, you were saying defense played none i think it'd be one of the most fun offensive playoff series ever but you're telling me luca and Kyrie couldn't beat the kings in a seven game series and then so then so you you, you're in the second round at that point right okay And, and then you get to go up against i don't know um a denver and you know for for all the Jokic, MVP, whatever, blah, 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 Mr. Triple-Double Jokic. Somehow it it wasn't cool when Russ was doing it, but just because a European guy is doing it now, it's the best thing ever. Um, I don't know. And Jokic's playoff failures? I, I think in Dallas's mind it registers is we just got to get in the playoffs, and once we're in it, we'll have the top two guys in whatever series we play in, aside from, I don't know, maybe if they play the Clippers, because I think the Clippers are in an interesting place where they're almost a better playoff team than a regular season team. Um, and and so I think, like, that's the way the Mavs are thinking. It's like, we just got to get in, and I think they like their chances against almost anyone in the West. I, I love this. So let's, let's, what a beautiful transition. Best, best uh, transition in my young podcasting career, if I do say so myself, because now we're talking team ceiling. Um, yeah, I think, I think maybe we disagree on it because I was looking at it, right? I, I, maybe I don't disagree. Let's, let's, let's break it down, right? Because I've, I've talked about the Western Conference and the teams that I believe in as contenders at, at nauseum on this podcast at this point. I think that that group is, is basically limited to the Nuggets, the Suns, the Clippers, 
and the Warriors, assuming that those guys are at their full strength. And then I, I, you can call me crazy. I'd even put the Lakers in that group. They're just so far down the standings, and they need to get Braun back desperately. And they that, that loss against the Mavericks really hurt them that we talked about earlier in the episode. But I think those are the teams that I would, with confidence, take over the Mavericks in a playoff season. In a playoff series, excuse me. have lost like four games simply because Anthony Davis can't make free throws when the game is in the balance. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, it's one of the most mind-boggling things I've ever seen. Like, if he just makes both free throws, but not even that, if he just doesn't whack Ma- Maxi on his first three-point attempt and send him to the line for three free throws. Like, so many things. Anyway. That, that was tough. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'll give patience to AD because I think he's held up in this stretch without Braun a little bit better than that I would have thought. I mean, I think we're seeing him look a lot closer to. It's crazy the roller coaster season Davis has been on because he, he's starting to look a lot more like what he was during that super dominant stretch he had in the early season. So overall, I give some credit to Davis, but you know those little mistakes get erased if you have Big Ron next to you there too. But anyway, back to back to the standings. Like, I, I there is a path, right? I think I think let me just say come out and say it. I think their ceiling is the second round. Because I think things would really have to break in their favor, and think, and they just might by how this, you know, the, the seeds shake out. Like, you know, Dallas could be as high as a four seed, and they could be as low as a playing team. You know, realistically, right? So there's a lot of variables up in the air, but I think they have a chance against the Kings. I probably wouldn't pick them outright, but they definitely have a chance. They definitely have a chance against the Grizzlies. They definitely have a chance against you know any playing opponent if they get high in the standings enough or whatever. But Beyond that, I just I don't think they have a chance against Denver. I don't really think they have a chance against a healthy Phoenix, against a healthy Warriors team, against a healthy Clippers team. So you're saying they a have chance a- against the Warriors that can't win a road game? I mean, come on. I look, man. Maybe I'm just still I'm not fully recovered over the final. I, I think the Wiggins thing is is you know what it all boils down to. Like they need Andrew Wiggins, and, and no one knows what's going on. We we obviously wish that guy the best with you know his personal or, or family. Um, issues that he's dealing with but if he's back and, and gp the second is healthy as well like I, I still am take i'm taking that warriors team over you know basically anybody besides maybe denver and maybe phoenix but um yeah well, you're a the, denver believer i am i'm sticking with them i'm sticking oh, with them despite the slide it hasn't been encouraging lately but right now they are definitely the best health bet coming out of the west along with sacramento and that counts for something and then i think that this is a year Jokic has the pieces around him to, to figure it out in the playoffs but um, so what do you think the ceiling of the team is? So you're, you're, you're talking yourself into what, like a Western conference finals appearance, like last year, what are we talking here? Uh, Oh, I mean, I, it's, it's more so where do I think the, the buck stops for the Mavs? They're a weird team. Like I could see them in the Western conference finals or I can see them losing in the first round in like five games. And both things would seem completely rational in my mind. Um, their ceiling though, maybe, maybe, it, maybe you're right. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. I'm just saying that when you roll, when you roll it out there and you have Luca and Kyrie and say, you know, say they go up against Denver in the second round and they win one in Denver, right? <laughs> so if they win if they win one of the first two in Denver then you 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 go home and you know maybe you split the one at home and so then this series is careening towards seven games and you're in a game 7 and you have Luka and Kyrie i think the Mavs like their chances so it comes down to the Mavs ceiling is tied to how they can extend series. If you extend the series to a winner-take-all game six or game seven, I think anything can really happen. Um, and, and that's in any series because they have the two best offensive players in every series they're going to play in. Let's, I mean, hey, if we're, if, we're going, if we're going that specific, let's take it further. I mean, you know, Jokic rides horses, right? He, he loves, he was riding a horse when he got his MVP. I'm sure there's plenty of places to ride horses in Dallas. Let's say someone gets him on a horse between games, you know, three and four, and he falls off that horse because the, the horse was poorly trained, and it's just a smear. It, yeah, then, sure. And then he breaks his, his arm, and, and then maybe, maybe Dallas comes out on top. But, no, I mean. Look, I get it. Like, I think the West is such a dumpster fire. It's probably a bad time for me to be making the argument that I don't really see, you know, Dallas making it past the second round. But the more I look at the standings, I'm like, look, they're probably playing Phoenix or Denver in the second round. 
I think that that is likely how it's going to shake out, and I cannot see them beating those teams at full strength. It's hard. It's, I don't know. It's hard for me to trust any Chris Paul team, man. And the fact that, like, if if the Suns got rid of Chris Paul for any other starting caliber um, point guard in the league, I'd like them more. Like, heck, if the Suns had Markel Fultz, I'd like them more than the Suns with Chris Paul. That dude manufactures ways to blow series. And 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 so I don't I don't I don't know if like one if Phoenix will have enough time with Durant to actually be a formidable playoff opponent. Um, that's one thing. And then two, if it's say like Durant isn't one hundred percent and it's Booker and CP three and Aiton, like we've seen that before, and that that group doesn't win big games. So I it's like. I don't know if I believe in Phoenix. Jokic hasn't made me a believer yet. I'm sorry. Um, and and so I, it's not that I'm a firm believer in Dallas because as I, I can talk about how bad their coaching is and their late-game execution. I just think that when the name of the game is getting buckets and you have the two best bucket getters on the floor, anything can really happen. It's like at the YMCA, man where it's a winner-take-all, your team's been winning, like, three straight games, and it's because you have the best shooter in the wreck. And you know that even in a tight situation, if that one guy gets hot, you can win anything any and, and against anybody. I think it's the same thing with the Mavs. Like, you have Luka and Kyrie. If, if both of them are cooking and it's a must-win game, I like those chances. I, I do. Uh, but... How many must-win games will they be in when they can't guard is, the, I guess, the better question. Ian's talking about the feeling he has when he has me on his pickup team. I mean, it, it's just, you know, you, always, you can never count us out, right? You can never count out my men's league team. If, if, you, do, if you do want to catch us in action, you can, you can pull up at, uh, at GBC, the church in town, and, and watch our men's league. You'll probably see about as much defense as you would um, in, a, in a Sacramento-Dallas series if you do pull up and watch us play men's league. But... <laughs> I think I think overall, um, I think this is just kind of turning into the West as a dumpster fire, which is completely fair and valid. Like, and that's why you have more optimism on the ceiling of the Mavericks. I'm just still, I just am going to trust, you know, again. And there's so many things that can happen health-wise with these teams where I guess there is a path, but I really do think that their ceiling is a, a one playoff win. I think that last year was more of an outlier. I would say that, you know, the West is better this year when they're at full strength. I think it's, it's a more difficult argument to make just because, you know, there's so many teams in flux right now, but you know, I guess we'll. Agree but last that. year's run was so fluky, man. Like, yeah. And I, I'd, I'd written a lot about it during that that run. I mean, the, I've never seen a team with more variance where they literally look like they don't belong in the playoffs when they're not making three point jump shots. Um, and and so like that last year's run was never convincing because. It was, I hope Maxi and, and Dorian are making shots. And that's a tough bet for me. And so it's almost, it's strange for me to say this, but a run to the Western Conference Finals, this playoff would almost be more convincing to me. Um, because you're not necessarily hoping and praying that Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock are hitting their threes that day. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's just, you know, I guess you're arguing that that second option is just a little bit more proven, but, you know, I think it ends up kind of breaking even with, you know, the, the absence of, of Brunson and even Dinwiddie in terms of shot creation and having those secondary playmakers. But, you know, to, for this team, you know, instead of us kind of going back and forth about, you know, what their odds against other, you know, insert bad situation with another West contender here, you know, what, what does this team need the most? What are the biggest team needs? It, you know, earlier you were really pissed on Jason Kidd, so... I want a new coach. Uh, let's take it a step further. Like, is coach is coach the top need? Is that you would put that above their front court depth issues, above you know just you know their lack of perimeter defense? Like, is that the biggest need for the Dallas Mavericks? You know, what when they address this in the offseason? Man, I think the biggest need for the Mavs would be. I I don't even consider like I I just I want the Mavs to have a long, lengthy, athletic. Big. Like one that preferably isn't a hundred years old, mm. JaVale McGee, but maybe like a twenty-eight year old version of JaVale McGee, you know? And and 
because, I mean, think about it. Powell's a bit undersized for a center. And imagine how good the Mavs' offense and defense could be if they had an uber-athletic, like, Clint Capella-type big that's just there to catch lobs and, and stand in the middle of the paint and, and muck things up on defense. Um, so I think, to me, that's the, the you know, need number one. Um, and then need number two is a a wing with a similar skill set to say like an OG and a Nobi man, like a guy yeah. that has a little bit of his own offense, but is more defensive focused. Can can you know knock down outside jump shots, but but also handle the ball a little bit and and do a little bit of everything. Um, and so with those two things, I think Dallas would become a contender. Um, the question now becomes like, what's the path to even getting one of those two things? Cause I mean, you gave JaVale McGee a three year deal, um, and all the tea leaves are reading that the Mavs won't, uh, re-sign Christian Wood, which I think is a mistake. Um, and so they're, they're kind of, they back themselves into a corner where they're not going to be able to get any of their on-court needs taken care of this off season, really. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit on the two big ones for me, certainly. I think, you know, first and foremost, like nothing, nothing drives me nuts. And, and I think it's gotten a lot better, you know, um, in, in the off season, um, in referring to the Mavs front court depth, like it is so pathetic and it's slightly better now that they have Christian Wood, like I mentioned, but I know we made fun of you. Want to hear a hilarious quote? Yeah, I do. Please. In training camp, in training camp, Jason Kidd said that the big man rotation for the Mavs is incredibly deep. <laughs> Yo, that's that, that's guys lying through his teeth, bro. That, they have they have easily like, even with Christian Wood, bro. I like we're not we're not. It's not two thousand eight anymore. It's not like Dwight Howard and then like. You know, Mark Gasol and Andrew Bynum are like the best centers in the league. Like we're not we're not at that point anymore. Like there's there's legit center depth. Like you look at every top team. Mm -hmm. Like they got they got at least one person, and most teams have at least somebody solid off the bench. Like you know, if they had got mm -hmm. and just to name names, like I know Miles Turner was available for like 50 years. Like I know John Collins is probably still available. It looks like the Miles Turner saga probably ended because they re-signed him, but maybe they just wanted to. Well, an interesting thing is that. At least what I heard was um, the Mavs were preparing to make an offer for John Collins if um, the Kyrie deal fell through. And so, I mean, like that, that to me, that sounds really an interesting, an interesting little, I don't know, coin flip moment or whatever it's called, where how would you feel about the Mavs if they had Luca, Christian Wood, John Collins? Instead of say Kyrie, like, would you feel better about the Mavs if they had John Collins? And and I don't know. I, I don't know. Instead of Kyrie, probably not. You know, despite all the shit talking I've done. But about imagine Kyrie, if they but... if the key, if the imagine if they would have got to keep Dinwiddie, right? Yeah, exactly. So then you have. Yeah, it comes down to what the other piece is. I think you need, and I, I don't like Spencer Dinwiddie. I'll come out and say that, but you know, for what it's worth, he was pretty valuable for Dallas. Like, you know, you need, you do need the secondary playmaker, and um, you know, as much as I, I talked about Jaden Hardy earlier, like, you know, he's certainly not at that point yet where you trust him in a playoff rotation. And even if you were, Jason Kidd's not going to play him. So, um, I, I do think that it would, it would depend on the deal. It would depend on the deal for a Collins deal. To, to be more valuable, but it would be nice to see them address the front court depth. I think for me, the funniest thing this entire season, when, you know, the Mavs defense obviously fell off a cliff, you know, in terms of defensive rating and stuff like that, compared to where they were at last season, it was like, you know, I saw all of Mavs Twitter talking about like, Oh, well, we don't have Maxi Kleber. Like Max, Maxi Kleber's the anchor of our defense. Oh it's like brother. Oh my God. That's like saying I'm, you know, saying Maxi Kleber is the anchor of the defense. is like saying, Hypothetically, let's say I make the most money out of my friend group. That's like me saying I'm the Bill Gates of the friend group just because I make the most money. Like, no, I'm not, and I'm not for what it's worth. But even if I was, no, your friend group just doesn't have a Bill Gates because there's like not that many uh, Bill Gates out there. There's not that many true defensive anchors out there, and the maps just do not have one. It is marginally better for Maxi Cleaver, yep. but he is not impacting like the ceiling of this team. He's just not. I'm sorry. Like, Yep, I I never understood this belief that Maxi was gonna come save the day. Uh, <laughs> that never made he did against the Lakers, but 
Nah, it's not. It's not. I mean, long. yeah, but he almost single-handedly blew the game against the Spurs. Like, yeah, like he not only turns the ball over, but Mister Defensive Anchor gave up a backdoor cut to tie the game. And and so I, I've just I've never been high on Maxi for some reason. He's one of the guys that a lot of Dallas media members love, probably because he's so nice. But I I don't. I, I've been on the train of, like, if Maxi was on any other team in the NBA, he'd probably almost be out of the league by now. Yeah, I mean, like, look, and, the, old, the best thing I can say about Maxi is he's better than Dwight Powell. Like, I, I literally don't understand what Dwight, like, what, he catches lobs? Like, Dwight Powell catches lobs better than Maxi? Like, I mean, that's like that's like saying, congratulations, <laughs> you're faster than a turtle. Yeah, you know, like, like what, what 6'10 dude that's getting NBA minutes can't, can't catch a precision lob from Luka Doncic. Like it doesn't matter, well, dude. It's hilarious when you hear when you hear teams like when you hear players on the team compliment Dwight Powell. They'll be like, "He's such a good screen setter," <laughs> and I'm like, "Shouldn't that be the bare minimum for an NBA big? Be good at setting a ball screen, like." I'm sorry, like, you should not be getting praised for setting good screens. Like, that's, like, basketball fundamentals. Yeah, like, it, it's it's bad, dude. Like, again, at least Maxi provides some floor spacing. And unlike Dwight Powell, he's not quite the lob set, uh, lob, uh, lob threat or, or screen center that Powell is, clearly. But, like, man, like, their front court depth is such a joke, just getting back to the team need. Like, I think you touched upon it. Miles Turner was the guy that came to mind. John Collins is an option. He just obviously isn't as much of a rim protector. I, I think the can you can you give me some insight as as what the hell they were thinking when they signed Javale McGee? Like what? He's just he's just. Um, it had to do. It had to do with Jason Kidd coached Javale McGee the year that the Lakers won the title. Um, and McGee was a big part of that title bubble run, and Jason Kidd was an assistant there, and it was a guy that Jason Kidd was familiar with. So as as the kid experience grows, you start to learn that kid likes his guys, all right? And even when his guys are no longer the guy, he likes his guys. Uh, and that's what the McGee signing was. It was it was kid liked McGee, and he thought they, they thought McGee was more than what he was. And, I mean, I found it hilarious when they signed McGee right after trading for Christian Wood and then say that he'll, he'll like, McGee's going to be the starter, and that lasted – a whopping like 10 games before instead of trying out what Christian Wood would look like as a starter, the Mavs trotted out Dwight Powell again and have been starting him incessantly. And and if I have to watch one more game with Dwight Powell, I think I'd much rather just pour bleach into my eye socket. It's, but, it's so bad, dude. And, and so it's like, that's that's the insight into the McGee thing. It was just a guy that kid was familiar with and the Mavs overrated in terms of, how decent they are at the game of basketball. And I think McGee's best years are behind him and, and that's, that's okay. I mean, he's in his mid thirties. So what, what can you really expect? You know, his main thing was being athletic and long and rebounding and blocking shots and second jumps. And those things tend to go away when you get to your mid to late thirties. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, I, I like JaVale McGee for what he's worth. Like he, you know, he won a championship ring, but signing a dude that, like you said, got by on his athleticism, that's 35 years old. And also like fundamentally at his ceiling doesn't give you, he's just a, what, a better Dwight Powell when he's healthy. Like he just, he, he literally is a lob threat and a better rim protector. And that's it. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure maybe Dwight can teach him how to set screens in practice or something like that. But like Christ, like I, I just don't, I, I didn't understand it for him to get a three-year deal. It's just I, I couldn't let this podcast go by without making fun of Dallas for that. But um, man, that's funny. Man, I, the more you talk, man, Jason Kidd's guys. Maybe I should figure out where he, he gets his dry cleaning and work there, build his, build some trust. And next thing you know, I'm like director of player personnel because shit, man, nobody, nobody networks like Jason Kidd does. He, he really keeps his guys around, is what it sounds like. But um, yep. I like the uh, I like the OG point just getting back again that the team needs um, OG and Anobi. It's just like he's such a perfect three and D player that he just it, it it makes sense that every team in the NBA would be interested in a guy like that. So I guess that's kind of a cop out answer, but I do think it, it's worth mentioning. Like you know they gave up Dorian Finney Smith. They're missing their perimeter lock. Like the fact that this team is going to have you know Tim Hardaway Jr. or Reggie Bullock guarding like a Kevin Durant if they face Phoenix is just so laughable. Like. Um, you know, I, I'd be remiss to to not mention that, but I think that you know the front court mm -hmm. depth is, is probably the most dire need. But 
Um, I think that that basically covers it. I hope Dallas fans haven't turned this off already. I mean, they probably already did. But um, is there anything else you wanted to get out uh, on the Mavericks before we shift gears here? Oh, man, I, I just I, – I want – one of my biggest wants for the Mavs is a rebrand. I feel like they've had the same jerseys for forever. Okay. And and I, I would I, – I am coming on this podcast to say, Mark Cuban, please, please just rebrand your team, man. Yeah, I think – shout out – this is super random, but shout out um, your guy Landon Thomas, right, the guy you do the podcast with, his name's Landon. Mm-hmm. He, he posted some really cool jersey concepts before the season of, like, potential rebrand options that looked so much better than anything, any relatively new, like, city edition jersey that they've put out. So I'm with you on that. I think that's a, a good point. My, I'll say one nice thing about Dallas. I, I love Luka. I, I, I love watching Kyrie Irving play basketball. They are more fun to watch after this trade. They do have a chance – because of how much how crazy the Western Conference is, I just wouldn't I wouldn't expect another fairy tale run like like what they experienced last season to get to the Western Conference Finals. So uh, I wanted to quickly shift gears because this is this is one that was for that was for the fans that was for the audience. This is one for my guy Ian. Ian's a Thunder fan for those that don't know, uh, and I just wanted to do a quick Thunder vibe check, man. How are you feeling? How are you feeling as a Thunder fan right now? I am quite excited, man. I mean, between between. J Dub and and my guy Josh Giddy and and SGA and being a nine seed in the West, I, you know we're we're a pun, we're a punchy group, man, and and we're punching above our weight. Uh, Mark Dagnalt is just I think he's a great young head coach, and I'm excited to the the fact that hopefully we'll be a play in team and not just that, but then also. Uh, we we still have all this draft capital, and and so it's like, it's that that point in the rebuild where you actually get excited about where the team is going, and you're not watching a whole bunch of G leaguers out there for eighty some games anymore. Which is it's a breath of fresh air that this team is actually fun to watch because the last two teams were just not fun at all. Um, and, and this team. The fact that they're still playing competitive games in mid-March makes me smile ear to ear. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, – I, I think you're right on with that. I think the vibes for the Thunder are absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, for them to be as competitive as they are – I mean, they're not, not saying they're super competitive, but being as fun to watch and slightly competitive as they are without having Chet, obviously the second overall pick in the draft, I think, you know, says a lot about where that team's at. Um you know, Jalen drafting. Can can we get a quick clarification here? So they drafted two dudes named Jalen Williams. <laughs> so J Dub is the nickname for for the one that's like second for rookie of the year, correct? That's how we how yes. diversify him. J Dub. Yes. Okay, perfect. So uh, I think that's awesome. Um, I think he's easily if if Paulo didn't exist, I think he'd be your rookie of the year front runner. He's been fantastic lately, and dude, Shea for. I think Shea's second team All NBA, dude. I was kind of looking at it just to give a preview. It, it, can we even put him that high for you know not being on a competitive team? I, I think Shea has been that good this season, though. Hmm. I think um, Shea. I mean, it, it's really crazy in that, like, say if the Thunder were like a forty-five to fifty win team, Shea would be, I think, probably in top three in in MVP voting when you think about it. Um, it's just that the, probably the Thunder don't don't necessarily win enough games, and so it it creates this like thing of like oh he's the volume score on an average to to below average team. But I mean the season that he's having is special. He like leads the league in in drives, and for being a guard, how many points he scores in the paint is it's unbelievable. Um, and he's just one of those guys that it's a bucket getter. I, he's so inventive and creative in the way that he creates space and his biggest thing is that he he's gotten stronger in his legs and so he's able to to not only take contact but kind of bump guys off spots and create new angles for shots and it's really taken his game to the next level and and I'm just glad that he again that he's still playing in March because for the past two years he'd always pick up some random injury and then he he wouldn't be playing the last like month of the season because the Thunder were more concerned about draft picks than than winning basketball games so I'm just I'm happy to see his development and, and to me I think he's one of the best offensive players in the league at this point there's 
you put you put this guy on a, a team that's a fringe contender, and I think they become an NBA Finals um, fringe team. That's like all of that. You think they can get there? Yeah, man. I I can't. I don't have enough good things to say about Shea. Like he's he's incredible. Um, you know, for him to be scoring over thirty points a game, and he's doing it on like two and a half three point attempts per game is, and it's not like he's shooting badly. He's shooting like you know thirty five percent from three. It's like if he finds a way to attempt more threes just because that's the way the league is heading. Not that he even needs to, to get those gaudy point totals, but you know, he's that special of a player and, and there's still even a path for him to, to achieve an even higher ceiling. Like that team's awesome. And, you know, I, it looked like they were going that direction with, with resting Shea, you know, the first couple games after the all-star break, it, it felt like we were going to see the same, th- you know, thunder situation that we did the past couple seasons, like you were talking about, but it's nice to see him back out there and they're, you know, keeping the same level of competitiveness that they had earlier in the season. But, you know, there's still a chance that they come out of the, like, they're going to be in the lottery still. They have a chance to get Land, Wimp, and Yama. Like, I, I can't even imagine the ceiling of that team if, if they were to get blessed in the, in the lottery and, you know, grab Wemby or even mm-hmm. a top three option. Like, they're going to be, they're going to be a, a, a top um, up there in the Western Conference standings next year, in my opinion. I I think so too, man. And, you know, there, uh, once, once Chet, is ready to go. I I'm very excited because the Thunder have been playing this entire year without a center, pretty much. And so, I mean, imagine like a guy like Chet, and then who whomever they they get in the draft. I, I you know, I, I'm I'm just I've never been more optimistic about a Thunder team probably since I was like 12 years old watching them play in all these conference finals and and whatnot. And it's good to feel excited about a team again because. When you don't have that, man, it it can be disheartening to just watch them lose and lose and lose. Yeah, right. There's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Don't you're, you're, the process is almost complete, Ian. You're like eighty nine percent loaded. I hope so. <laughs> well, I, I hope so. <laughs> before we let you go, um, I, I I felt like this would be a fun exercise, right? As I mentioned earlier in the, in the open of the potty, and is written for you know articles professionally for many different teams just to give you the list and definitely let me know if i'm missing any obviously the dallas mavs uh the las vegas raiders the philadelphia eagles new orleans saints tennessee titans um you know, contributed for a, a thunder fan site as well so the oklahoma city thunder and then of course you've lived in, in dallas for you know several years now so you're familiar with the cowboys fan base I wanted to hear you rank, and we can make it nice and say rank your favorite fan bases from what you've heard, or we can, you know, make it honest and go least favorite fan bases. But I want to hear you rank um, the fan bases that you've had to deal with in being a professional writer and what you've seen um, through the lens of a sports writer in these different, you know, uh, fan bases and environments. I think the smartest fans I've ever encountered are – Tennessee Titans fans. I think they're the most level-headed and aware of their situation and circumstance. And so probably my favorite fans to deal with were those. They were always nice in my mentions and in the comments and and whatnot. So I I always – I have a soft spot for Tennessee Titans fans. Um, And then then I'll I'll go to the fan base that I find the most insufferable is – is living in Dallas, I mean, Dallas Cowboys fans, I, I've never seen a fan base that is so blinded to their team's own averageness that it's it's like Stockholm Syndrome, the way they love this team just to be con- continuously hurt by it. It's, it's so shocking. I don't understand it, and maybe it's not my place to understand it, but hey, to each their own. Um, and then... I'd say the after that, uh, you know, Mavs fans aren't that much better than Cowboy fans in that they have this blind sense of optimism about where things are going. And I've never seen a, a fan base so dead set on believing in their team, even though the last championship they won was, you know, when I myself, I was 11. <laughs> and so that should tell you something. Um, you're, they're not exactly the, the Golden State Warrior standard of basketball. So Mavs fans are quite the enigma because they're doomsdayist, but then if you call the if you, you, you actually start pointing out the flaws in the team, then they'll also jump to defense of that team. But then they also feel like the sky's falling all the time. They're just a confusing bunch. 
the um it was a breath of fresh air it felt like you know i wasn't sure if i was taking crazy pills or what but for you to not pick you know, being a sports writer you get all the negative comments and the people that hate you for giving your honest opinion so the fact that you haven't to my knowledge even you know written articles about the cowboys and covered them on a professional basis and you still had to go off outside of the of the six teams that you covered to mention how much the cowboys piss you off is exactly the boat that i'm in i didn't know if it was just because i'm a you know diehard patriots fan you know new england sports fan that relocated to dallas and i have to to see the worst of it um you know kind of through our line of work but it was definitely refreshing to hear <laughs> the Cowboys fans take the top spot. That that certainly makes they, me happy. They, they make no sense to me, man. I mean, they they talk about Dak Prescott like he's Joe Montana one week, and then the next week they act like that dude is Colt McCoy. I, I just I don't understand it. I don't understand them. I don't understand why they get so angry at something. They, they should know how every year is going to end. So why get angry about it at this point? <laughs> You know, maybe this is the year that broke him. I was going to say, I think I saw the first, you know, collectively negative comment section on any of the A to Z sports posts. Um, you know, it was, of course, after this last season and, and Dak completely shitting in the bed against the Niners again. Um, there was a talk of his contract extension and the comments and the Instagrams were like, oh, please don't, like, don't bring him back. Like, this guy doesn't deserve his money. And it was like the first overwhelmingly negative comment section I've ever seen on any of our posts. So who knows, maybe the, maybe the times are changing or maybe it's just, it's just March, and people will talk themselves back into it by the time September rolls around. Yeah, but. by by August, the Cowboys <laughs> yeah. are winning the Super Bowl. Dak's going to be the MVP. Uh, Tony Pollard is going to lead the league in rushing yards off of a, a torn whatever, broken whatever. Uh, you know, C.D. Lamb is is going to be a one thousand yard receiver. I'm just I'm over it. Yeah, why stop at why stop at rushing yards? He's going to lead the league in total yards and touchdowns too. He's at such a dynamic weapon, but. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tony Pollard is Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, they're the same. <laughs> well, Ian, thank you so much for your time, man. I think that that just about covers everything that we wanted to touch upon today. We are uh, super excited to have you. We'll have to bring you back at some point, maybe once the maps kind of start their playoff run, and uh, maybe we'll just kind of victory oh, lap. You on. know, I'll have my un unasked for opinions, unsolicited opinions. <laughs> on the how the Mavs continue to be the luckiest franchise. I'm still – the Lakers should have won that game, man. I was relishing in the Mavs being in, like, 11th place in the West, man. Oh, and, man. But there they are at six, and that's all that matters. That's, that's kind of – that sounded like me last season, man. I couldn't believe the success that they had. and I felt like the stars aligned. But who knows, man. You never want to bet bet against Luka Doncic and, and, and certainly Kyrie at the end of a close game. So. I'll continue to put the money on the house, yeah. man. Well, Ian, we're going to hit this button, get up out of here. Before I let you go, where can the people find you, man? Plug plug your socials, plug where people can find your content. Oh, man. Uh, you, can find, you can find me on, on Twitter for all my um, horrible opinions on, on things at I-A-N-I-A-N-K-A-Y. Uh, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I, I try not to – I try to stay out the way aside from, from – my horrible takes on sports so check out my twitter and and you'll find all my stories there or at least the stories that i think are, are worth much of anything perfect well make sure to check him out make sure to check out ian he does incredible work writes some incredible articles for us at a to z sports and all the other publications he's a part of so um, and be sure to of course follow at words with wallace on everything uh, twitter instagram facebook youtube spotify apple music wherever you get your podcasts share the show Rate and review. Tell a friend. Um, we will be back next week at some point with the latest and greatest of the NBA storylines. Um, and with that, I'm going to hit that button, and I will talk to you guys next week.